Romans chapter 2 is where we begin today. Uh, number 3, evidence of Jewish sinfulness. Paul turns his attention now to the Jews uh, specifically. Uh, the subject, that what he'll deal with, is relying on false securities. This is a real problem. It's a problem today, too. Uh, people rely on a lot of things. Uh, one thing that surprises me, actually, is that so many people rely on their, their parents uh, because their parents was a good person. I don't know how many times I've had people tell me, uh, well, not too long ago, this woman told me her late husband, uh, he forgot more than I knew about the Bible. And, you know, I don't know what, exactly what she meant by it, but my thought was, well, what good does that do you? You know, maybe he did. Okay, that's good. Where does, where does that leave you? The way she was talking, she, she didn't understand a lot. <clears throat> she wouldn't have been speaking the way she was. But uh, sometimes people rely on the wrong things for their salvation. And... Uh, that's, that's bad. That's what the Jews did. They were real bad for it. Uh, they were the covenant people of God, and this, of course, gave them a great deal of uh, comfort. They had uh, greater light blessings and privileges, but they misunderstood the love of God. They thought that just because they were the covenant people, and people, preachers, I hear them do it all the time today. In the Old Testament, uh, Israel was the covenant people of God. Um, as though that gave them a, a special place in, in world history uh, when it comes to uh, a body's relationship with God. Even today, I know John Hagee, uh, I don't know if he's got some Jewish blood in him or not, but he, uh, he speaks uh, fondly of the Jews. As a matter of fact, he says that they are the true Church of Christ and we are secondary to them. They rank higher than we do because they were the covenant people of God. Uh, if people misunderstand it today, it's easy to see how they could misunderstand it when they were living through it. And that's the situation with the Jews. They thought that because God made covenant with them, that that put them uh, above everybody else. That gave them uh, a sense of security that uh, all is well with them. They even believed, many did, uh, rabbis taught, that uh, uh, somebody in covenant with God, a circumcised man, for example, uh, no matter how sinful he was, he would not go to hell because he was in the covenant relationship with God. It was probably their greatest uh, false security. Uh, and Paul, of course, he deals with it a great deal. What they failed to understand, that they were given greater opportunities uh, but they didn't understand that that meant they had greater accountability, okay? They assumed they had less. It was okay if they sinned. Why? Well, they're the covenant people of God. Well, it was just the opposite. Because they were the covenant people of God, they had more responsibility than, say, the Gentiles uh, because they had greater privileges than did the Gentiles. They were supposed to be a light to the world, to the Gentiles and everybody else. And that they failed to do because uh, they looked down on the rest of the world as being inferior to them because they were the covenant people of God. They just misunderstood the whole thing. They were seeking salvation in all the wrong places. They were trusting in all the wrong things. And this is what Paul deals with in this uh, latter part of chapter 2. Uh, he's, he's, he's talked about... Uh, the 
the fact that Jew and Gentile would both be judged by God in the first 16 verses. Now in verse 17, he turns his attention towards the Jews. He speaks to them. He set the stage. He's worked his way over. He began with the Gentiles, and then he rolled the Jews into a conversation with the Gentiles, and now he leaves the Gentiles and goes on to the Jews. He's very diplomatic in his approach. Uh, he exposed common trusts as false hopes. Basically, there were uh, three primary ones. Uh, there was the false security head of heritage, secondly, of knowledge, and then thirdly, of ceremony. They thought that because of these three things, especially these three things, uh, they were, uh, were going to be all right no matter what they did. First, he points out the security of heritage. Indeed, you are called a Jew. He's careful about his, uh, his language. Notice he says you are called a Jew. Okay, indeed, you are called a Jew. Uh, they weren't really Jews not according to the Lord, because a real Jew is a person who abides in a covenant with God. And this is something they didn't do. He talks about the difference between a Jew and the true Jew. And the true Jew today, uh, Mr. Hagee doesn't realize, a true Jew today is a Christian. This is what God was looking for. Now, just because a person is a Christian doesn't mean they have a, a security that is uh, impenetrable. They're going to be saved. Uh, but it does mean that the characteristics uh, of a Christian, especially take what's outlined in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, uh, possessing those qualities. Um, Brother G.K. Wallace, uh, he referred to the Sermon on the Mount as, he called it pointers for Pentecost. Uh, this is what God's people should look like. And on Pentecost, uh, basically that character of person is what the apostles began pushing. Uh, so the Jew, uh, while they were called a Jew, in the spiritual sense of the word, they weren't Jews at all uh, because they didn't abide in covenant with God. But they, they thought that that was good enough. I'm a Jew. I got the blood of Abraham coursing my veins. I'm a I'm a protected person. The children of Abraham, they thought, have a distinct advantage. Uh, they even said that. The rabbis taught that, and that's what it says in the Talmud. This is a quotation from that book. They have a distinct advantage over everybody else. In John 8, 44, uh, again, they were arguing the fact that they're the children of Abraham. And Jesus, uh, he, he denied that in his uh, discussion with them. He said, you are of your father, the father is the devil, not Abraham, as they supposed. He said, your father, your real father, you Jewish people, these particular Jewish people, uh, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father he wanted to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of the lie. And they were like him. They weren't like God as father. They were like the devil. And whoever they looked like, that's whose children they were. And in case of these people, even though they were talking about being children of Abraham, uh, Jesus said, no, your father's the devil. 
he's not Abraham. John the baptizer uh, told impenitent Jews, uh, do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Do not think that by being uh, uh, the offspring of Abraham, that that's going to make you a saved person or have a right relationship with God. Don't think that way, it's the wrong way to think. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. He didn't need them. They thought he did. He didn't. Uh, God did, doesn't need anybody as far as that goes. Uh, he wants people, but he needs no one. This eternal being has existed forever. Uh, got along just fine without people. Uh, he doesn't need people. Uh, he wants to have a fellowship with people, and he will fellowship those who are like him. You gotta be able to get along with the Lord. Gotta be of the same mind as the Lord. And these Jews who thought they were secure because they were descendants of Abraham, they weren't like the Lord at all. And this is what Jesus is pointing out. They don't like it, and ultimately they'll kill him because of it. But uh, this was the truth of the matter. Secondly, uh, they had the false security of knowledge because they knew the scriptures. They thought that would make them safe. Uh, a knowledge of the scriptures uh, can be a good thing. It can be a very dangerous thing. And that, that, that can swing in any direction. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of people, uh, uh, rely on knowledge uh, as a a saving factor. Uh, knowledge uh, gives us understanding. But if we don't apply the understanding to the way we live, what good is knowledge? You know, it's of no value at all. You can study the Bible. You could memorize the entire Bible. Uh, I've read that Joseph Stalin, I don't know if it's true, but I've read that Stalin was able to quote both the Old and New Testament from memory. Uh, if that's true, then obviously he knew the Bible very well. But what good did it do him? It did him no good at all. If you don't uh, apply it to the way you live, it's of no value. And it can be a very dangerous thing, knowledge, you know, it's said a little knowledge in the wrong hands can be very dangerous, and that's true. Uh, some people uh, having knowledge and not understanding what they know can become a very dangerous thing. Uh, taking what the Bible says and using it out of context, applying the wrong, this, is, this happens all the time. Uh, people will, will uh, quote a Bible verse or something and apply it to something that it has absolutely nothing to do with. And it becomes a, a pretext. Uh, and this is a common error that uh, people make. And they make uh, judgment calls based on uh, knowledge without understanding. You gotta have both. You gotta have both. You gotta have understanding of no knowledge is simply the acquiring of facts. Okay, you read the Bible and you, all, this, all this information gets processed into your mind. Okay, that's good. But what are you gonna do with it? You know, well, you've got to first, you gotta understand it. 
That's one of the reasons why we're told to meditate so often. We got to think on these things and understand what they what they actually mean. And then secondly, we must apply it to the way we live. Without application, there's no value at all. And that's where the Jews were. They had knowledge, no doubt about it. But they didn't apply the knowledge. Well, first, they didn't understand it, and neither did they apply it. Law was the sole source of divine revelation. Everything they knew about God, it came through Moses and the prophets. This was their source of information. It encompassed all divine revelation uh, up to their time. Uh, his revelation about his covenants. Covenants, uh, contractual agreement. Uh, God, God, uh, he makes the covenant. Uh, it's not a negotiable thing like a labor union. Uh, he tells you what the covenant is. If you want to abide by the covenant, you can. If you don't want to abide by the covenant, you don't have to. It's, you know, whatever you want to do. But he's not going to change his covenant. He said, if you do this, I'll do that. Okay, it's not, not negotiable. Uh, whatever the Lord said, that's uh, the way it shall be. All that information, of course, came from scriptures. Uh, his blessings, his cursings, his warnings, promises, rites, and ceremonies. All these things are made known through scripture. It's the only way we know anything about God is because God tells us. Uh, what is God like? Only God can tell us. I have no idea what God is like unless God tells me what he's like. Sometimes we suppose, I suppose, I believe, I think, God feels this way about something. I have no way of knowing that's true. If I can't go to the scriptures and put my finger on it, I don't know anything about God whatsoever. I just uh, have a lot of theories or thoughts. Uh, his moral standards, we, we learn from the scriptures. Uh, he tells us what's morally right, morally wrong. He, what he teaches about himself and what he teaches about man as well as the plan of salvation. <clears throat> if you want to know these things, you must appeal to the scriptures because that's the link between heaven and earth. This is uh, what God has, what he wants us to know. There's more to be known, no doubt about that. Uh, who was king? Where did King get his wife? There's, a, there's more to be known. He just hasn't given us that information. In regard to the Jews' knowledge of law, the apostle, he mentions four aspects in their relationship with the law. What they learned about the law, verses 17b and 18. What they taught about the law, verses 19 and 20. What they did in relation to the law, verses 21 and 2, and then what they caused by breaking the law. These are the four things he touches on as he proceeds. Uh, first of all, what they learned about the law. Well, they rest on the law and they make their boast in God. Uh, this is what they knew a person was supposed to do. And this is what they claimed to have done. And in some ways they did. Uh, you know as well, you approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. These are good things. These are good things. And this is what they had done. Psalm 147, verses 10 through 20, a favorite psalm among the Jews. And it is a, a doozy. Uh, he declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel. 
he has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them, other nations, praise the Lord. The Jew, uh, misunderstanding the psalm, of course, uh, took this to mean that they were above everybody, uh, which they weren't. Uh, look what he said, he has not dealt thus with any nation. There was no other nation on earth that had a covenant with God, but there were people that did. And this is what they didn't understand. They were chosen to be a nation for a particular reason, to uh, keep it sovereign until Messiah would come and be born into the world. But uh, superior to other peoples? No, it had nothing to do with that. It was all about uh, their relationship to God with regards to the forthcoming Messiah. The law they boasted of, however, condemned them. They took so much comfort in the law, and yet it was the law that condemned them. You're not condemned because I say so or somebody else says so. You're condemned because the law condemns you. Jesus made mention of that in John chapter 12, verse 48. In the day of the judgment, we will be judged by his words. That's going to be the standard of judgment. We don't have to guess. You know, we've got the test in our hand at the beginning of uh, the semester. We know what's coming. We know how we're going to be tested. We, we have it all our life. And all we have to do is uh, uh, apply what's given to us in the scriptures and phew, we'll pass the test, no problem. Well, that's what the Jews did not do. They knew the scriptures. They knew what the scriptures required. They knew that the scriptures taught about things like the morality of God. However, uh, they didn't apply it. And because of that, the scriptures they, they claimed to be their security uh, in the end would be the very thing that would bring them down. Uh, in Jeremiah 7, 3 through 7, thus says uh, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings. Change your ways and your doings. Why? Because their ways and their doings were not right. They had knowledge. Got to give them knowledge. But they weren't doing what they knew they should do. Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place that is Jerusalem. Do not trust in these lying words saying, the temple of God, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. That was their salvation. They had the temple of God right there in their midst. God lived among them, and they thought that was their security. And they even would make sayings like the temple of the Lord. If you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, if you do not shed innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods to your hurt, then, if and then, it's all about if and then, it's the covenant relationship. If you do this, then I'll do that. That's how covenant works, contractual agreement. If you do all those things, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. 
once again, that's Jerusalem or Judea. Uh, they trusted very much in that. What they taught about the law is discussed next. The proud Jews proved to be teachers of destruction, according to our Lord. In Matthew 23 and verse 15, he said, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel uh, land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. They were doing more damage than good. Been better off if these people had never been touched by these Jewish pseudo-teachers. Because when they taught them their traditional teachings, uh, they, drew, they drove the proselytes further and further from God. They had been better had they remained a pagan than to have become a Jewish proselyte because now their, their hearts were hardened. Before they became a proselyte, they were obviously searching. That's why they became a proselyte. They were obviously searching. Somebody came along and taught them what they needed to do. They did what they were taught to do. Now they felt like they were saved people and saved people don't look to be saved. If you're saved, you don't have to, you don't have to find information to be saved because you're saved. You have no reason to. And if somebody messes with your salvation, we have a tendency to get upset. If someone were to tell them, no, 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 what you believe about circumcision, no, this is wrong. Here's what the Lord has to say about circumcision. They get, they get up on their hind legs because they're upset because they already have a set of rules that they live by. They made them twofold the, the child of hell than they were because they, they have hardened them in a way. They were pliable at one time, but now they're hardened and they're not going to listen anymore. They're teaching and doing more damage when they teach. Sometimes I hate to say, but sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, that happens uh, with us. Uh, whether on purpose or whether sheer ignorance, sometimes uh, we say things to people that uh, aren't necessarily the will or spirit of God, and we uh, injure people in a very uh, detrimental way. Uh, I, not so much now, but used to, uh, statements would be made like, I held a gospel meeting, so-and-so, and boy, did I skin them. Skin them, you know, we don't go anywhere to skin somebody. Uh, we, 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 we are out to educate. That's supposed to be what our purpose is as, as teachers, to educate. Uh, it's not about proving you're right and they're wrong. It's not about that. It's, it's a search for truth. What is truth? Uh, sometimes the wrong attitude exists. Uh, well, you know, you, you told them that they're going to hell in a very belligerent way. Well, it's true, ain't it? Well, yeah, but according to Paul, we should speak the truth in love, not, uh, not just skin somebody because we can. Sometimes uh, a lot of harm has been done uh, because uh, ignorance, ignorance, 
uh, and it's a very painful thing. Then when, when people try to talk to so-and-so, I ain't talking to you, you're church Christer. I don't want nothing to do with you people, you're crazy. Uh, and in some ways, I suppose they're right. Uh, it's, it's always been a problem, it remains a problem. Uh, you're confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind. You're confident that you are a light to those who are in darkness. You're confident that you are an instructor of the foolish. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. This was their mission, a light to the world, and they were anything but lights to the world. They wouldn't even walk on the same side of the street as a Gentile. What's the possibility of their having much influence over the Gentiles? They thought they were all these things and they came up short. Jesus is speaking about God's people. It's always been the mission of God's people from Adam to now and continuing. You are the light of the world. The city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand. And then it gives light to all who are in the house or in the vicinity of that light. This has always been the purpose of uh, God's people is to show a reflection of God to other peoples so that they could either see and be drawn to God or see and be repelled by God. That goes both ways. Most people obviously are repelled by God. They just don't like God. Uh, He's, he's just a nuisance in their life, and they don't want anything to do with him. But out of a crowd, you know, who knows how many, while the, the majority is going to be repelled by God, uh, there's going to be those who are not. They'll be drawn to the light, you know, like a moth to a flame. Uh, it, that's just the way it works. It's really weird. Uh, I've seen times where I thought somebody would be drawn to the light, um, and come to find out this other guy was drawn to the light, and the one I thought would be drawn to the light could care less about it in truth. Uh, I don't know how many times I've called it wrong in my thinking. It's like preaching sermons, you know. Some sermons, well, I think are really a big dud, and people like them. And some sermons, I think, are very informational, and nobody says a word about it, you know. I, I call it wrong. No matter what I do, I always call it wrong. And sometimes that's the way it works when we're dealing with other people. We think this person is uh, unsalvageable, but they're not. And some people are just a breath away from obeying the gospel, and they live and die without ever obeying the gospel. I don't know who they are. You don't know who they are. But the Lord does. And in our goings, uh, he wants us to be all we can be because there's going to be someone, someone, who's going to be influenced by the way you live, uh, influenced for good by the way you live. You may not see it today. You may never see it in your lifetime, but it will have an effect on people uh, somewhere along the line. And you might be the starting point or just another light along the long, long list of lights. Uh, why it's so important to be careful around uh, other people. Make sure they see and hear the right thing from us. Let your light shine before men, Jesus said, 
that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Uh, that's why we live. That's why today exists. It's another day to let lights shine that other people might be drawn to the light. If it weren't for that, there's no reason for us to be here. We might as well pack our bag and go home because uh, it's, it's over. There's no purpose. You're confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish. You consider yourself to be teacher of babes, uh, the unlearned, uh, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Paul said something very similar to this uh, in his uh, letter to uh, Timothy. He spoke about those who have a form of godliness but deny its power. Here he says they have a form of knowledge and truth in the law, which is basically the same thing in both cases. The, the important point, though, is that the idea of the form, it's a counterfeit form. They have a, they have a form, but it's counterfeit. It's not really godliness that people are seeing. It, it looks kind of like godliness, but it's not godliness. There's a difference uh, of knowledge and truth, and this is where the Jews were. They looked like they were God's people, but they, they were not. And uh, unlearned people, like the Gentiles, as far as the scriptures go, they didn't really know what godliness was. Not from a, a, a godly point of view. They knew what uh, pagans believed, but they didn't know what God believed until uh, they heard or seen it from a Jew. So what they saw, they thought, was godliness, and Paul says, not so. It's a counterfeit type of godliness. See what they did in relation to the law. You, therefore, who teach another. Do, do, whoop, whoop, whoop. Bag up a step. You, there, who, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Are we doing what we know to be sin? Sometimes. It ain't pretty, but it is true. Sometimes we step out of the light. Sometimes ignorantly sometimes presumptuously figuring that there's forgiveness right around the corner. And this is what he asked the Jew. In Psalm 50, verses 16 through 20, David said, but to the wicked, God says, what right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth? What gives you the right, preacher, to tell people how they ought to live, seeing that you yourself hate instruction? You cast my words behind you. You don't, you don't follow them. When you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. Instead of condemning sin, they were actually participating in sins. You give your mouth to evil, your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your own brother. 
you slander your own mother's son. My brethren, James said, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. That's a thought right there that's always grabbed my attention. Uh, if you take it upon yourself to represent God, you, you better know what you're doing because you're going to be judged by a stricter judgment uh, because you have uh, a knowledge and opportunity to share that knowledge with other peoples. You better be on your toes and make sure that what you're passing out to everybody is, in fact, the will of God because you're going to be judged accordingly. Uh, preachers and teachers will face a stricter judgment than most people shall because of the responsibility. They are, you know, they have a greater reward, obviously, but they also face a stricter judgment. In Matthew 23 and 3, the Lord told his disciples, uh, therefore, whatever the scribes and the Pharisees tell you to do, since they sit in Moses' seat, since they are the teachers of the law of Moses, Whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do it, but do not do according to their works. Why, Lord? For they say and do not do. Uh, they speak uh, the, the law of Moses, but they don't live the law of Moses. When they tell you uh, do not steal, and you find out that they're stealing, don't do what they do. Listen to what they say, but don't do as they do. Uh, remember, when I was a kid, that's what Daddy used to say. Don't do as I do. Do what I tell you to do. <laughs> it just don't work that way. Uh, we follow examples over words. Uh, we tend to do what we see more so than what we hear. Uh, you, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach the man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? We know that this is hypocrisy. This is what was going on commonplace. And Paul is raising these questions. It's something for them to think about. Uh, I don't know that the Lord would be angrier with anyone than he would be with the person who says one thing and does another. I think that would be uh, very unsettling. For God, uh, you who make your boast in the law, Paul continues, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? Is, is that what your life is all about? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. This was the result of their saying and not doing. Uh, God's name was blasphemed by others. Not because the Lord did anything wrong, but because his representative did. Therefore, people blasphemed the God of heaven. The, the, the preacher, teacher, uh, and when I use teacher, I use it in a gen very generic sense because all of us are teachers. The preacher and teacher uh, can do good to other people or they could do much harm to other people. It depends on what people see. If they, if they see God, all is well. But if they see what is not God, then that can be very detrimental uh, to the salvation of other peoples. Uh, and God's name is blasphemed in the process. Uh, a, a great judgment awaits all teachers of God's law.
The false security of ceremony, of course, they put a lot of emphasis on ceremony. Uh, circumcision, of course, being at the top of the list. Circumcision is indeed profitable. Genesis 17, 10, and 11, God gave his covenant of circumcision. This is my covenant, Abraham, which you, Abraham, shall keep. When you read the scripture, remember who the Lord is speaking to. He's not speaking to the world. He's speaking to one man and one man only. And you want to read it that way. This is my covenant, which you, Abraham, shall keep. It's between me and you, Abraham, and your descendants after you. Abraham was called a Hebrew because he came from beyond the Euphrates River. Those who are born to Abraham would also be Hebrews by order of descendancy. So Abraham and all those who are descendants of Abraham, this covenant is for you. <clears throat> Every male child among you shall be circumcised among you Hebrews. You should be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you, Abraham, or we could think, between me and the Hebrew people. A sign of the covenant. It's profitable indeed, but where's the spiritual value? It's kind of like baptism. Baptism is profitable. It's a profitable thing to do. The Lord uh, requires it. Mark 16, 16, or 15 and 16, Acts 2, 38, 22, 16, the list goes on and on and on. Baptism is profitable because you're doing the will of God. But it's not spiritual in any sense of the word. It's not going to make you spiritual. Uh, it's not going to change you in any way except when it's over, you're wet. I mean, there's, there's nothing in baptism that makes you spiritually greater. It's a prophet. It's like circumcision profitable to be circumcised because that's a sign of the covenant and you must be circumcised but it's not spiritual it's not going to save you and so it is with baptism or any of the uh, ceremonial acts that the people of God engage in and that's misunderstood sometimes circumcision is indeed a profitable if you keep the law you got to keep the law. If you are circumcised and you don't keep the law, he'll talk about that too. If you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. If you break the law, it's as though you were never circumcised in the first place. Why? Because you violated the law. You've been circumcised, you break the law, you condemn yourself. Okay? If you've been circumcised, you, you are to live in the law not violate the law. This was the way it worked. There, there's nothing magical about circumcision, nothing magical about baptism. It's profitable, but it's not spiritual. It's not going to save us. Circumcision is of no value if you break the law. Circumcision, therefore, cannot save you. It's a part of what you must do to be saved, but it's certainly not the manner of salvation. Similar warnings have been issued long, long ago. 
Did the bell ring now? I don't have a lot of time, do I? I don't want to proceed on this because we're going to have to do a lot of back and forth on it because it gets a little uh, challenging. So why don't we just stop right here and uh, continue, God willing, next week with verse 25. Uh, we'll get done with chapter 2, I promise you, <laughs> as, long as, as long as everything stays together. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult chapter, difficult.